Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman. Today we continue our study of the book of Revelation and the final countdown. We have spent the better part of two and a half months in the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but this book has been speaking to my heart and I'm enjoying our study. This message brings us to the halfway point of the book of Revelation. It also brings us to the end of a very long section that began back in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. In this passage, the seventh trumpet, which was announced in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, is about to sound. When it is sounded, this trumpet will unleash God's final acts of judgment upon the earth. Let's read from God's word, beginning Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. The seventh trumpet. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations are angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for your judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temples was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. You know, the seventh trumpet will bring about a devastating wave of judgment. It will, it will fulfill the ancient prophecies of Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, where it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the earth tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. When it sounds, the seven bow trumpets are revealed. These bows contain the final, awesome, fearful judgments of God. Revelation 15.1, the sound of the seventh trumpet alerts the world that King Jesus is about to reclaim everything that belongs to him. I want to stop here just a moment and again point out that the Old Testament is still valid in many ways. It points the way. It points the way to Jesus and all the way to the end of time. Now the seventh trumpet is sounded here in Revelation chapter 11 verse 1, but the events it brings to pass are not recorded until we get to Revelation chapter 15. Chapters 12 through 14 are retelling of the tribulation story from a different perspective. In Revelation chapter 6 to 11, the focus has been on the Lord Jesus. We have learned about the process he uses to take possession of his earth. Revelations 12 through 14 take the focus off the Lord and places it on the Antichrist. We have been observing the tribulation from God's perspective. For the next few chapters, we'll, we'll observe that awful period of time from Satan's perspective. This passage takes us forward in time to the very edge of eternity. We are transported ahead to the end of the age to a time when Jesus 
has taken possession of the world and judged sin and sinners. As we look ahead to that blessed day, we find heaven in a state of rejoicing. Today we want to look into these verses and by virtue into heaven itself. In doing so, we are allowed to witness heaven's reaction to the reign of the Lord Jesus. I want to show you the great reasons why we see worship, praise, and excitement in heaven as time comes to an end. The words great voices translate the Greek words mega and phonea. We get the word megaphone from these words. It refers to shouting and loud speech. This is a picture of loud, vigorous praise and glory. Look at verses 15 and 16. I want to preach on this thought. Heaven is rejoicing on the edge of eternity. First of all, we see that there's a rejoicing over a ruler. Heaven rejoices because God and his son Jesus have taken possession of a world that is lost to sin and Satan thousands of years ago. The scope of his kingdom, or kingdoms of this world in the Greek, the word kingdoms is singular. There are many rulers, leaders, kings, and presidents in this world, but there is but one true kingdom. Men think they rule. In reality, Satan rules this world today. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord Jesus calls him the prince of this world three times in John's gospel. John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. The truth of Satan's rule can be seen in the hatred that's being leveled against Jesus Christ and his gospel in this world. People have no reason to hate Jesus. They do so because they are led to do that by the devil. He is the ruler of this world today. I praise the Lord that his kingdom is to be short-lived. Jesus Christ will come in glory and power and assume his rightful place as king, lord, and god of this world. There is just one rightful king, and one day the whole world will bow at his feet and worship him. Let's look at the span of his kingdom. The Bible says that he will reign forever and ever. Jesus will not be like a human ruler. All human rulers eventually reach the end of their reign. They die or they're deposed or they're replaced by another. Not Jesus. He will reign eternally. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Psalm 145 verse 13. Let's look at the strength of his kingdom. God is called Almighty. Thou hast taken. God's kingdom has no end. Every human kingdom fails because it is built on the limited power of men. Saddam Hussein ruled by the power of fear, but he was overthrown. Kim Jong rules by intimidation and ruthlessness. He will be defeated. Putin rules by intimidation and ruthlessness. He will be defeated. God's kingdom is established on one who holds all power. He will never be overcome by any enemy, for he has placed all his foes under his feet. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. He will never be deposed by any rival, for he has no rivals. Psalm 86, verse 10. Look at the stability of his kingdom, which are 
wants and are yet to come. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He has always reigned. It may look like Satan has his hands on the wheel in this world today. It may look like he is in control. Even Satan is the servant of Almighty God and he operates within a limited sphere of activity. He does only that which God allows him to do. His activity is limited by providence, sovereignty, purposes, and power of God. Satan had to get permission to attack Job. Look at Job chapter 1 2. Satan is a finite, limited, created, sad sack being. He must always yield to the one who has reigned by eternity past, the one who will always reign. You see, heaven rejoices in this truth. If we really believed it, we rejoice as well. We would know without a doubt that our God reigns and that he is in absolute control of everything in his universe. Let's look at the surety of his kingdom. The verb phrase are become is in the tense used to describe future events that are so certain. That can be spoken of as if they had already happened. This tense is used in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 3 through 9. Though he ministered 700 years before Jesus, he writes of the sufferings of Jesus as if though they had already happened. People can believe what they will, but one day the kingdom of this world will be given over to the Lord Jesus. He will rule and reign on the throne of this earth forever. Praise God. No wonder heaven rejoices. I thank God that I'll be there when heaven bubbles over with praise. But I thank him that I can praise him today. You see, he may not be recognized as the king of the world yet, but he's the king of my heart and my life. We'll see that there's rejoicing over a reward. The sinners will be rewarded. This world hates Jesus and demonstrates that hatred against him when he comes to reign. This verse looks ahead to that day when the armies of the world will gather themselves together to fight against the Lord Jesus at his coming. Revelation chapter 16 verse 14. The hatred of the world is clear to see in our day. Everywhere you look, this world is trying to eradicate the name of Jesus and anything to do with him from the public arena. Schools, even churches, the streets. We can't even say bless you in the workplace anymore. These people will not bow to him. Their hatred is expressed in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. There we see that when they rise up against him and attempt to conquer the Lord, but Psalms 2, verses 4 through 9 tell us that God will have the final say in the matter. In the end, lost sinners will be rewarded for their rejection of Jesus by having to face him in judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. You see, God will have the final word, and all lost sinners will receive the due reward and full measure of the reward for their sins. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. What a tragedy, since they could be saved if they would only come to him. Now, we may wonder about the saints in heaven rejoicing over the punishment of sinners, it bothers us when we see sins like that. After all, we do not want to see anyone go to hell. We want to see people saved. All I can say is that when we arrive in heaven, 
we will possess a mind like that of the Lord Jesus. We will think like he thinks, and we will agree with his plan to judge all those who reject him. When he pronounces their sentence, we will say, Amen. We see that the saints will be rewarded. While the lost sinners will face the Lord in judgment, faithful believers will be honored for their devotion to him. He will reward his servants, the prophets. Those who have faithfully preached his word will be rewarded by the Lord one day. He will also reward his saints, them that fear thy name great and small. One day, every act of devotion to Jesus will be rewarded by him. Nothing was so small that he missed it. He saw every sacrifice that you made, every labor of love, every gift, every deed that was done in his name, every suffering that you had for him. He will reward all those who faithfully serve him. You know, even something so small as a cup of water given in his name will be rewarded someday. There's rejoicing over reality. You know, this verse seems almost out of place in this chapter. It just doesn't seem to fit in with what we've seen of rejoicing in heaven. But this verse is important. The mention of the temple places us back on Jewish ground. Remember that. You see, the church does not have to be a temple. We are the temple. This verse contains two great realities that I want to touch on just for a moment. First of all, there's the reality of access. The open temple and the vision of the ark serve to remind us that in heaven we will have access to the Lord. It's not going to be like a lot of the churches where we have today when you can't even talk to the pastor without talking to those who surround him. We will be able to see and talk to God. We will, we will see him and we'll be able to worship him. There will be no veil to separate us from him. There will be no flesh to separate us from him. There will be nothing to keep us away from him in that day. We will have free, unfettered access to the God of glory. Revelation chapter 22 verses 3 through 4. Then there's a reality of affirmation. The mention of the ark, again, places us squarely on Jewish ground. You see, for the Jew, the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God, the communion of God, and the redemption of God. Here the Jews are reminded that God is not finished with them. He will complete his plan for Israel, and he will keep the covenants with the seed of Abraham. Now, let's talk about the ark of the covenant for a moment. In the Bible, there are five different names for the Ark of the Covenant that are mentioned. These five names reveal what God is doing in each one of these verses. So look at the Ark of the Covenant in Numbers 10, 33. The ancient Ark contained the law. In these verses, we see a world that has transgressed God's law. The world has angered the Lord, and he has come down to judge them. Let's look at the Ark of the of testimony. Exodus 25:22. The ark testified to God's holiness and man's sinfulness. God is still holy and man is still a sinner. As a sinner, man will be judged by a holy God. Then there's the ark of God that's mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 3. The ark was the only visible throne of God on earth. 
The vision of the ark reminds everyone that God is still on his throne. Then there's the ark of strength in Psalm 132, verse 8. It was called this because of the miracles and great works that were associated with it. We are reminded here that God is still Almighty God and He still reigns in power. Then there's the Holy Ark in 2 Chronicles 35, verse 3. It was called the Holy Ark because it is where God dwelt. The vision of the Ark reminds us that God is still alive and well. You know, verse 19 closes with premonitions of impending disasters. More horrors, worse horrors, than anything we've seen thus far are still on the horizon. We are at the halfway point of the book and of the tribulation. We have seen things from God's perspective. Now we see things from Satan's perspective. You see, these verses have literally taken us to the very edge of eternity. The question that must be faced today is this. Which group mentioned in verse 18 are you a part of? Are you part of that group that we will be doomed and damned to hell? Are you lost today? If you are, you need to know that the wrath of God already abides on your life. Look at John chapter 3 verse 36, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, Romans 1 verses 18. I hope you're taking notes. You also need to know that you do not have to stay in that condition for another minute. If you come to Jesus, he will save you by his grace. I want you to come now if he's calling you to come to him. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect once you come to him. It means that he will accept you as you are and he will save you from your sins and he will give you the gift of eternal life which you cannot earn. And it also means that he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you win against evil in your life. Now, if you're part of that group that will be, will be rewarded and rejoicing one day, and praise the Lord, you ought to bow before him and tell him how thankful that you are that he has saved you. You know, if you're lost today, you may be here for the tribulation, and you may not. But think about this. You are one heartbeat away from eternity. Have you ever thought about that? I have. In, De- in November of 2020, I had another bout of malaria. I was in the hospital in renal failure. I thought about that. I was literally one heartbeat away from eternity. All that has to happen is for your heart to stop. And the moment it stops and your spirit will leave your body, you will be in eternity. You know, up in Washington, D.C., at the depot, there's a strange mark on the wall. The mark is there because many years ago, President James Garfield was in that depot. An assassin walked in, saw the president, and he fired a shot. The shot went through President Garfield, killing him, and the bullet hit the wall and left a mark. That mark is still there. It identifies the place where President Garfield stepped from time into eternity. Dear friend, for every one of us, somewhere on this earth, there is a mark. 
It may be on a deathbed in a hospital somewhere. It may be on an interstate highway where an accident will occur. There will be some time in your life when your time here will cease and your eternity will begin. Do you remember the very first lesson that we preached in this series, The Final Countdown? We preached on hell. The question becomes, where will you spend eternity? Hell is very real. Hell is very real. And again, there's some point in time when your time will cease and your eternity will begin. If you came to the place where your mark is located today, how would it be with your soul? Are you saved? Do you know that you know that you're saved? I'd ask you to bow with me if you can. If you can't, listen. This is a very important moment. We're at the halfway mark in the book of Revelation. We're at the mark of your life today. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us. I thank you, Lord, for all the many people across the world that are in the sound of my voice and your presence, Lord. For the Bible says that where two or three are gathered together in my name, that you're there in the midst of them. And Father, I don't believe for a moment that gathered together has to mean gathered physically in one place where all of our spirits looks up to you, Lord. We know that you're there. Father, I would ask you to talk to the hearts of those that are within the sound of my voice. Father, if they have not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I ask you to help them see what they're missing. Help them see what the mark of time may be for them. Help them see, Lord, that they need to put their faith in you and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, if there be others, and I know there are, who have given their life to you, but for whatever reason, they stopped living a Christian life. Father, maybe it was a preacher somewhere that didn't give them support. Maybe it was a church. Father, members in that church that turned their back on them when they needed them. Father, maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a death in the family. It caused someone to push aside the love that you have for us. Father, whatever the reason is, I ask you to touch their heart today, God, and help them return back to you. For the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sinner that returns. Dear Lord, I love you. I thank you for all the many things that you've done in our lives. And thank you for what you're going to do today, right now, for the people in the sound of my voice. Father, we love you. We praise your name. We also praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name today that we pray. Amen. 
If you made a decision today, I would like to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit www.christ-lives.org and leave a message there for us. Let us know if this sermon today helped you in your life or helped you where you were at. If you would like us to pray for you, I would consider it an honor to do that. Things that people send me, and they're sending quite a bit now. Things that people send me, Lord, you know that I never say anything about what's in, the, in those emails. Anything you send us will be in the strictest of confidence. You don't even have to give your name. God knows who you are. I thank you for your time today. I wish you a very blessed week. Thank you for listening. Amen.